Enjoyed that selection of songs this morning. That was very good. Well, we're going to be in James chapter 4. Those of you who have been here the last time I preached, I've been preaching through James. And uh, this week we're landing on chapter 4. We're going to talk about being proud versus being humble. Uh, But first, I would like to take an opportunity to uh, say that the church has donated a little bit of money to FCA uh, for, to help them out. That's a Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and they gave us a thank you card appreciating what we have donated for them, and they told us to thank you for your generous donation to Altamont FCA. We truly appreciate it. And so they are grateful. This year they're averaging quite a bit of people, so uh, they usually did eight last year. They're close to 20 this year for their meetings on Tuesday, and so that's been really good to be able to be a part of that. So um, I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 4, uh, starting with verse 1 through 12. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be friends with the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it is without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But greater grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are a doer of the law. You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, as we just take this time to think about your word and how you tell us to be humble, God, in all that we do and all that we think, that you would just open our eyes this morning to anything that might be inside of our hearts, God. Help us to see that all of us struggle in this area in one form or another, God. And help us to be humble enough to see that in our own hearts and in our own actions in all areas of our lives, Lord. In this time, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, I've been in James for a little while now. And uh, before each time that I've preached, I've kind of went back to James chapter 1, where uh, James tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get anger, because the anger of humans does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And uh, he goes on just after that to tell us to be listeners. of. Obviously, we have to listen to the word, but not just to be hearers of the word, to be doers of the word. And so I've kind of said and made a point of that to be a filter that we look through to see everything else that James tells us to do through that filter, that God is wanting to speak and build righteousness in us. And that when he speaks to us, that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Because our angerness actually keeps God's righteousness from being made inside of us. 
And so the reason I always want to go back to that filter is because James tells us some things in this book that's hard to take sometimes. And oftentimes when we hear something that God points out to us, we don't want to hear it. And we have a tendency to be proud, as this passage is going to tell us, that we want to reject that because we think we're above that. This morning, and oftentimes in church, we might think as we hear a sermon and we hear God's word that, oh, this, this is good stuff, but it doesn't really apply to me. You should, preacher, you should turn your head that direction where that person is because they could really use what you have to tell them. But it applies to us. Because it goes deeper than some sinful actions of what we think of maybe just getting, going out and getting drunk and doing all these different things that you know, we see as immoral. It goes to the heart. It goes to the very thoughts that are within us. And so it's deeper than what we could imagine. So could we just be honest with ourselves this morning? Could we be honest with ourselves enough to humble ourselves and say that none of us are good? Not one of us are good. Not according to God's standard of what good is, because it's moral perfection. We never reach that on sides of earth. So can we be humble enough to say that we're all in the same boat? That none of us are any better than each other? That we all be, the only reason that us who have put our trust in Jesus and our followers of Christ, the only reason that we can say that we're made right with God is because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It has nothing to do with our goodness. Nothing to do with our goodness. Because we're still sinners to the depths of our core. So can we be humble enough to say that to ourselves this morning as we go through these things that James shows us being proud of our hearts, being selfish in our hearts, and there's a variety of ways that that comes out in our behaviors. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. The last sermon that I preached, it's been a little bit, but the last sermon was God's wisdom. It was the last, uh, it was 13 through uh, 16 of chapter 3, that was the last time I preached, it was God's wisdom versus our wisdom. Human wisdom, as we talked about, and this is important because it plays right into the passage today, human wisdom is very much focused on me. It's rooted in selfishness. It's about what's best for me. Human wisdom says, what can I do to get the best out of my life, the most comfortable life, the most successful life now? And in the pursuit of that life, it leads us to reject people around us because we're so consumed with what we're doing in our lives and what we're trying to accomplish that we can't live for Christ by focusing on others. And so it leads us to reject and ignore others. But it also leads us to reject God because God's plan for our lives is not to prosper us here on this earth. God's plan for our lives is for us to glorify his name. And so... That's what human wisdom does. It's selfishness. It leads us to live for ourselves. Adam and Eve sinned against God and fell because they wanted what was best for them. And because of our sinful natures, we do that every day of our lives. Our wisdom is the root of every sin in our lives. God's wisdom is different. God's wisdom leads us to trust in him. But it also leads us not to be focused on ourselves. Chapter 3 of the passage that I read last time, chapter 3, verse 17 of James says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, then gentle, then compliant, then full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. All of those things are how we show others, with mercy and, and, and pure and peace-loving towards others. So human wisdom is about me. Godly wisdom is about God and how I deal with others. That's what the two greatest commandment is. It's to love God and love others. God's wisdom changes the way I live towards him and then towards others. And so 
That's important because this morning, as we, as we go through this passage that we just read, we're going to see how that plays out, how our wisdom versus his wisdom plays out. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, leads right into this section because we talked about how God's wisdom is, and, and, and our wisdom is, God's wisdom equals proud, which is what we're talking about. God, no, our wisdom equals proud, which is what we're talking about. God's wisdom equals humble. And that's what, this, that's what this section is about today. So everything we read today is human wisdom versus God's wisdom played out before us. And so verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And so if we look at any conflict in the world right now, we, we know that it's because individuals or groups of people, uh, they, they have these selfish ways of thinking that divides them. You know, one person over here wants to see their, their will done, and it conflicts with this person's will over here. And so there's arguments, and there's conflicts, and things of those natures, because neither side is willing to look from the other person's perspective. And this is why our country is so divided right now, because everybody wants to hold on to their view of what life should be. And, and it's because of selfishness. It's because of man's wisdom. But it's also why we're so divided as Christians in this country. That we are not unified because we focus on things that don't matter at all instead of putting our focus on what Jesus says matters in this life. And so if Christians all over the world were to set their focus on what Jesus has for us to do while we're here, we could accomplish quite a bit if we were unified. I mean, I don't want to say that it would be a utopia, but I think we could put a dent in a lot of the world's problems because we would be focused on the reason we're here. But we're so divided over things that don't matter because of our selfish desires. And that's what he's talking about here, the desires within us. And so this is just an illustration. It's not the only reason that I believe Christians are divided. There's politics and a bunch of other things, but I think this is one we can relate to. In our culture, we get attached to a certain way that we think church should be. And we do, when we go to a church, we ask if there's services on Sunday or anything like that is the way that I want, my preferences. And so... We forget that the most important thing as Christians is, is not having anything to do with that, but it has to do with are we living out what Jesus has told us to live out? Not to attach ourselves to our own ideas of what church is supposed to be like, but God's ideas and God's plans for how we're supposed to be as church. You know, church is more than just a Sunday morning. It's, it's throughout the whole week, throughout our whole lives. But people are divided and argue over their personal preferences. You know, I've heard people argue and divide over the color of carpet and things like that. And so that's why you can drive over most of the country and in many even just small towns and you can see many different churches of the same denomination within miles apart from each other because of that kind of division. And so focused on my preferences, what I desire, conflicts with other people's desires, and that's why we get where we're at. And I don't believe that this is the, uh, I don't think we'll get past that in this life. I don't believe that it's also the main divider amongst Christians, but I think we can all relate to that, because when you go to the Bible Belt and you see a Baptist church within just a mile of each other, like, <laughs> you have to ask, like, what are, what are they doing here? What are we doing here? But there's division. But his, the whole point that James is talking about is that selfish desires... Uh, selfish desires wage war inside of us, and because of those selfish desires, it causes conflict between us and others, and it causes division. Selfish desires are evident in how we treat each other as Christians, and just in general, in life. Um, Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 23, Paul addresses some of these desires. He says, For in my inner self 
I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my, in the parts of my body. So Paul is telling us that we all have this sinful nature to us. And there's something within us, even as Christians, that leads us to speak and act immorally in the way that God opposes. And so living for ourselves or treating others the way that God has told us to not treat others, this is sinful. This is something in our desire that leads us to live and treat others the opposite way that God has called us to. Sinfulness, selfishness, being rude, speaking without thinking, or maybe you did think about what you were going to say and you just didn't care. Always looking for a way out or always looking for out for ourselves. Those desires exist in all of us. And it's called pride. That's what, this whole, that's what this whole scripture addresses. We elevate ourselves. We say, I deserve better than this person is treating me. But we don't really deserve anything because of our sinful nature. Um, I think there's been many times where I've gotten angry over how somebody has treated me. And I felt like I was justified. But the truth is, is that the reason I got angry was because I elevated myself and thought that I deserved better. When the fact is that Jesus went to the cross so humble that he did not lash out at those who were putting him to death. And we're supposed to follow that example. And it's one of the hardest things to do because our hearts, everything in us says, if this person attacks me, I get the right to attack them back. This person says something to me, I get the right to say something back. And so it's humbling when we realize that we don't get that right. That Jesus has said, that's not how I created you guys to be. And so if we get angry at the thoughts of what sin is being spoken this morning, it points out that we're prideful. You know, if, if I get angry because, because I'm told that I can't behave a certain way, it points out pride, which is with the whole thing. And so those desires that we're talking about cause us to act out in a way that God has not made us to be. And it comes out in a variety of ways. And so verse 2 through 3. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you do ask, you do, when you do ask, you do not receive because what you ask for with wrong motives, that you may spend what you have on your own pleasures. And so I, I struggled with this the, the first few times that I've read this because I was thinking this is a letter towards Christians, but he's saying you desire but you do not have, so you kill. Uh, and it's like, okay, what, how can you, if you're a Christian, how can you kill someone if you, if you covet something that they want? Um, and so that's the question I was asking myself. Well, um, is James talking to Christians? Because Christians don't typically go around killing, um, but Christians do quarrel and fight. And so those things are kind of put into the same thing. Uh, he doesn't really tend to separate those things. Um, and I think this is important. The reason I think this is important to observe for a moment, because if we think that he's not talking to Christians, we can just dismiss everything he's telling us. And we can say, that doesn't really apply to me. Uh, but I believe that he is addressing Christians, um, even just the way it says. Uh, and I think this is important because James is talking to us. Uh, so Why? Why is it important? Because James keeps addressing them as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
That's one reason why I, 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 I tend to lead that they are Christian. He, he keeps addressing them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and James has not shared the gospel anywhere in this book. Jesus' name is mentioned twice, so it's not really evangelical as far as that goes, in which case he's about to tell them to clean your hearts, purify yourselves. What he would be saying is to save yourselves and then sanctify yourselves. We're not meant to do that. Only Christ can do that. Relationship with God puts God's spirit in us, and he begins to change us. Uh, so it's not evangelical. Uh, and so he's telling them to turn upon themselves for salvation. Um, but those are, who are lost don't typically have battles raging inside of them. Like they typically tend to think one way. And so that's another reason where I kind of, I, I mean, I could be wrong on all of this, but that's another reason why I kind of just like tend to think that this is towards Christians. But also in verse four, which we're going to read next, he calls them adulterous people. You can't commit adultery with someone you don't have a relationship with. And so I believe that he is talking to Christians. Well, what about killing? What about the fact that he's pointing out their murder, that they're murdering each other? Well, Jesus tells us that if we're angry with somebody in our hearts, we've already committed murder. Um, but to go a step further than that, I think that possibly he's pointing out their old behaviors that they've come out of, and he's warning them that the desires that they have currently lead down that path, or, or better yet, reminding them of that. And so I believe that he's talking to new converts who are struggling with the same desires that they had that wage war on all of us as Christians. Um, that's why I think he's going with that. And so, for instance, not, none of us in here may have been murderers. At least I hope none of us in here were murderers before we came to Christ. Um, but as Christians, we're, we're still just as guilty of sin as everybody else. And so I think if we dismiss that that he's addressing lost people, then we miss out that, that he's talking to us in these verses, that there are things in our lives that we need to address. So he goes on to say, you do not have because you do not ask. Um, Jesus tells us to ask for a good gift and we'll receive a good gift. James tells us to ask for wisdom and we'll get wisdom. Uh, James tells us that every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. And... Um, and so in the midst of that, like, I believe that we're, we're being talking about spiritual things here as opposed to just physical things. But I think the reason that we don't receive most of what we ask for is because we ask for it for ourselves instead of for the glory of God. And I think that we know that whenever God doesn't give us something we ask for and we get angry, we can pretty well take it that we don't actually, what we're asking for isn't actually for, uh, for his glory. So when Jesus and James tells us to ask and we will receive, he's telling us not to ask for selfishness, things that we can spend on ourselves, but things that will glorify God. Verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be friends with the world becomes an enemy of God. And so enmity, the definition of enmity means hostility. And so to have friendship with the world equals hostility towards God. It's opposition towards God. And so what does it look like to have friendship with the world? Well, it's thinking the way the world thinks. It's valuing what the world values. Success, money, comfort, pleasure. Um, our, sin our sinful desires, which lead us to sinful actions, is being hostile against God. And oftentimes we don't look at that as that way. We don't want to look at our actions against God as hostile. And that's because oftentimes as human beings we have a very low opinion of what God thinks of sin. Jesus says that if we lust against, if we lust at someone with, if we look at someone with lust in our hearts, we've committed adultery. 
And all sin is the same, even if we just think it. And so when we choose to set our hearts on worldly living, living, we are being hostile towards God. And we only need to look at the cross and what happened on the cross to see how serious God takes sin. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus for every single sinful action and every single sinful thought that we've had. And so this shows how much God hates sin. So if we love and pursue what God hates, then we are being hostile towards him. We're being his enemy. And so we can't love God and the world at the same time. But we all do this as Christians of our lives, as Christians every day in our lives. We all need God to change our desires. Every single one of us in here has desires that are hostile against God. And they may seem small to us, but because of them, God's wrath is poured out on the cross on Jesus. Verses 5 through 6. Or do you think that, or do you think the scripture says without or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he causes to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace that why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor on the humble. And so um, scripture tells us that God is a jealous God, that he desires us to be devoted to him and not to spend our time chasing things that have nothing to do with him, that lead our hearts away from him. And he compares our lack of devotion to adultery. And I think the reason that he compares it to adultery is because that's something that those of us who are married can understand. Um, Those of us who have a spouse that we love, the thought of that person leaving us for another, it hurts. And it causes us to be angry. And so he wants us to understand how much he hates it when we turn and pursue other things. And that it's the equivalent of adultery to him. In the Old Testament, God's people pursued gods that had nothing to do with them. And as a result, they were neglecting the poor and did not live the way that God instructed them to. They were committing adultery. Chasing our own desires causes us to neglect God and even to ignore others. God wants, us to, God wants, to, the, God wants to be the passion of our hearts. He wants to fuel our desires. And when he is not at the center of our thoughts and our actions, he is jealous. And he, wants, and he has a right to be jealous because we are made to belong to him. But we too often reject him and pursue things that, that we don't have anything to do with him. And so I think that there's ways in our lives that show that we're committing adultery. And uh, there are signs of what we do with our time, how we spend our money, the way that we talk to or treat others. It shows that our desires and value of other people that God put in us to have is not there because of our sin, because of turning away to pursue other things. And maybe it's the fact that we don't interact with others, but instead we stay to ourselves in our own little worlds. This is something that I've said before, that love that God gives us to share with other people, it's not something that's passive. It's something that's active, that as Christians, we're supposed to look for the opportunity to reach out and love others around us. But oftentimes, we don't seek those opportunities to love others because we're consumed with ourselves. And we seek only to advance ourselves with comfort and money and pleasure. In essence, we make our lives about us. And when we make our lives about us, we show that God is not at the center of our hearts. We show that we have adulterous hearts. 
And every single one of us in this room struggle with these things. We are arrogant if we say that we don't. Because in the book of John, John tells us that if we say that we have no sin in our lives, we make God to be a liar. All of us struggle with these desires. Which is why a level of humility is required for us to be able to admit that. And all of us, it's up to us to figure out the desires in us that are not supposed to be there. It's up to figure out the actions that we take that are not supposed to be there. It's not up for me to figure out your sin and your desires. That's up to you. That's between you and God. Because I have enough in my heart to to keep up with and to try to keep up with yours. Uh, But I have found that if if you really want to know the areas of life that you're struggling with, ask your spouse, ask someone close to you, uh, because they oftentimes see things in ourselves that we don't see. There's a lot that I've learned since I've been married about myself that I never knew. And, uh, and I'm glad that God revealed that to me. And it's not easy at first because we don't want to see those things. There's been times where I've gotten angry because it's like, I, I don't see that in myself. And I'm like, okay, I have to think about this. Oh, it's there. I just didn't want to see it. We all struggle with this, and that's the point. It's your job to figure that out. But all these things, the way that we act and the way we behave, and the whole point of this is evidence that we're being adulterous in our hearts against God. And James says that that's being proud. Making our lives about us, it is the opposite of being humble. God tells us that if we are humble and we are living for him instead of ourselves, he shows us favor. If we think about 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. In that passage, he tells us that if we humble ourselves, pray, and seek his face, and turn away from our wicked ways, he'll heal our land. That's a good promise, that that he searches out the humble heart, and he responds with favor to those who admit, I'm a sinful person, I've got sin in my life, and I need to make that right to God. He responds to that. And I think the evidence that we're not doing that as Christians is the fact that everything is going the way it is going. I think a part of that is just because it's how it is now. But I do think a part of that is because we're not where we should be as Christians. That we are chasing selfish desires, that we do have adulterous hearts. And we have been caught up in the things of the world and we place value on things that don't matter. God tells us that if we are humble, he will bless us. But if we make our lives about ourselves, we are against him, and so he is against us. We're his enemy, as it says. And so now James is going to tell us what to do about that. In seven, verse 7 through 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so James is telling us that we need to own up to our sins. Oftentimes we don't want to do that because of our pride. We don't want to see the sin in our lives. But I think it's crucial that we do. I think it's crucial that, as the Bible tells us, that we examine ourselves and to see what fruit there is is coming out. And so we need to repent of sinful actions and the desires that are leading us to think and to live the way that God tells us not to live. We have to understand at this point, though, that it is not just the actions that we need to focus on. It's the desires themselves 
Because it's out of the desires of our heart that the sinful actions occur. And oftentimes we just try by like willpower to stop doing what we're doing and stop living a certain way. Uh, but it's not the behavior we need to focus on. In 